Ready? How y'all doing tonight? Good. It's good to see everyone. Um, yeah, uh, y'all, if you get a chance to thank our worship team, um, say thanks to them. They put in above and beyond the call of duty of work. They practice on Sundays, then they come in and practice again, um, and they do a great job of leading us in worship. So um, if you get a chance to thank them, um, definitely do so. Um, Second thing I want to say, well, first of all, I'll just say, I'm Jonathan. If this is your first time, um, I'm Jonathan. I'm the campus minister with RUF here. I think I recognize everyone here, but if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you and get to know you a little bit more. Is it still not on? No. Test one. Oh, there we go. Um, So, yeah, I'm Jonathan. If I haven't met you, um, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to get coffee with you, get to know you a bit more. Um, I'm just having all kinds of struggles here. Um, so, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention really quickly about, um, summer conference. Um, I'm sure some of you saw the price tag. It probably feels a bit steep, $350. Um, and yeah, that is, that can feel steep. It can be steep. Um, let me just say it this way. We do not want money to be something that prevents you from going to summer conference. Um, so as you, we're going to make a big deal about summer conference the next couple of weeks. I would love if you want to come, come talk to Brittany, talk to me, um, and we will have scholarships available, uh, depending on your need. We want money. We want it to be something valuable. We have donors that put a lot of money towards RUF. Um, and so we don't want to just throw their money away, but we also don't, like I said, we don't want money to be a reason why you can't come to summer conference. So, um, if you see that big price tag, Come talk to us, and we want to we want to like have a conversation with you about um, making sure that if you want to come, you can go. So because it really is an awesome time, it really is one of my favorite times of the favorite weeks of the year. Um, so, anyways, um, this is our large group, our weekly large group, um, and so we've been talking through the last couple of weeks the book of First John. If you've been with us, the biblical book of First John, and we've been asking. We've been trying to figure out, asking this question throughout our time of, by this we know love. And we've been trying to ask questions like, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) It had to be done. It had to be done at least once. But seriously, what is love? Um, Am I loved? Are you loved? Am I lovable? How can I love those around me better? How can we be a community? How can we be a campus that is more loving? And so here at Reformed University Fellowship, as Christians, we're convinced that the Christian gospel is what makes that love possible. Um, And so that's why we're looking through this book. And so if you remember correctly, if you were here last week, we talked about some threats to love. What are some of the things that makes love really difficult? And we saw that God anoints Christians with the Spirit and gives them everything that they need to love despite real threats. And so I just want to make a quick plug here. If you can't make large groups some week, um, if you just got life is happening, exams, you're sick or something like that, um, all of these messages are recorded and they are on nmsu.ruf.org. You can find them on messages and you can go back and not that I'm not that that good, but um, if you just want to go listen again or hear something that you missed, you can go and listen to them. So this week, we're going to be pressing on in our study, and we're going to be looking at what I think is probably one of the most intimate and one of the most incredible passages in this whole book. Um, And so this week, I want want us all to see one thing, one thing this week I want us to come away from, Um, and that is that God's love prompts godly love. God's love prompts godly love. And I want us to see that in two main ways, two main ways I want us to see that. One... 
the wonder of God's adoption, and two, as God's adopted, we practice righteousness. The wonder of God's adoption, and the, as God's children, we adopt, we practice righteousness. So, um, with that, I'm going to read our text, and then we'll go into it from there. So, this is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. This is God's word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who, hopes, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for this time, these next brief uh, minutes as we open your word and hear what it has to say to us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would be present even now, that you would use my words to bless those around us, filter out the chaff, and let us feed, let our hearts, let our soul feed on the kernel so that we are more known and more loved by you and by each other. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So again, I want us to see one thing tonight, one thing that I want us to see, that God's love prompts godly love. God's love prompts godly love. But I want us to start here by seeing, by understanding, by dwelling a minute on the wonder of God's love as adopted children. So look with me at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And I want to break this verse into small pieces because it is such a dense, rich verse. And it's one of the most important verses in this whole book, this whole study that we're going to do all semester. This is like a banner verse. Put this one on your wall if there's anything that you put on your wall. What does John say here? He says, see, see. And so John is not just talking about merely scientifically observing something. He's not just talking about a passing glance. He's not, just, he's not just like, oh, observe this. But what he is talking about, he says, see it deeply, see it truly. So see, it, see it so deeply and truly that it begins to affect your heart and your, who you truly are. What he means by, by see, he says this is more than just intellectual knowledge. This is more than just knowing that 2 plus 2 equals 4. But it's not less than that, but it's much more than that. This is the sort of knowledge that leads to our hearts being, our souls being warmed and our imaginations being inflamed and our hearts burned with the understanding. This is so much more than, than just actually seeing to understand. And so the way to think about this maybe would be like to think about honey. 
to think about honey. Some of you can analyze, some of you chemistry majors could analyze honey. You could break it down into its pieces and, and look at the different chemicals and chemical properties and say, oh wow, it has these chemical properties, therefore it's going to be sweet. It's going to be sweet because we break it into these pieces and you can dissect it, but you don't actually, you don't actually really know that it's sweet, right? How do, you know, like, how do you really understand that honey is sweet? Well, you have to taste it. You have to actually experience it for yourself. And then you really know in the deepest part of who you are that honey is sweet. Not just intellectually, not just scientifically, but personally and really, truly. And it's so much more real. Well, that's what John is getting at here when he says, see, he says, look into it. And so that you actually comprehend it and understand it personally. So what are we supposed to see? What are we supposed to look into that we understand? Well, he tells us, he says, we're supposed to see, what does he say? What kind of love the Father has given us. And that phrase, what kind of, it's difficult to translate, but it literally means, like, from what planet? Like, it's not from here. It's a kind of love that's not from here. It doesn't belong here. It's something that has come in that's not from us, and it's something that we, that it's, it's a completely different kind of love. Well, what kind of, what is that? What is that love that he describes here? He says, it's the kind of love that makes us the children of God, that makes us children of God, and so we are. Well, what does this mean? What does it mean when it says we are children of God? What does it mean? It means that you, that means that when you and I, when we believe the gospel message, the Bible says that we are adopted as into God's family. We become God's children in a mysterious and beautiful way. The gospel says that God takes people who are orphans, who are destitute, who are lost, who are spiritually hungry and alone and isolated and dying. He takes people who are completely cut off from him, from fellowship with each other, who are, have, who are at the end of their rope, and he invites them into his home. And he says, come, be my child. Be my beloved. Be someone that I will. And, it's, and he does not just, he doesn't just, you know, take us in and then put us into an orphanage and say, well, they'll take care of you. He says, no, I'm going to take care of you. Come and I will be your father and you will be my child. He doesn't just give them 20 bucks and say, be on your way and I hope this works out for you. He doesn't say, if you come in and play by my rules and follow the rules of my house, then you can be my servant. And I'll, you know, I'll see that your needs are met. No, he says, come in. Welcome. Be my child. I, everything that's mine is yours. Be known. Be loved. Come, in a sense, cuddle up on my lap. Come eat at my table. Come cry on my, on my chest. Tell me what hurts. Rejoice with me. That's what God's saying. He says he welcomes us in. We go from dirty, lost little street urchins into the children, the sons and daughters of God. Some of you may know um, the pastor over at University Presbyterian Church where I go to church. And um, he and his wife have adopted three kids. And they adopt their three kids not expecting anything in return. They don't get anything back. But his name's Patrick. He reads to these kids. He gives them presents. He gives them Legos. These, their, their son loves Legos more than almost anyone I've ever seen. 
He gets down, Patrick gets down on his knees and plays on this sheet with Legos with him. That's what God does. That's what it means when it says we are children of God. That level of intimacy and care and protection and delight that says you are not my, you are now, you are brought into my family. So what I want you to see is this a divine adoption. This love that makes us God's children is the best picture of how to think about your Christian life. If there is one way that you think about your Christian life, if someone asks you, what does it mean that you're a Christian? I want your first response to say, I am a daughter of God. If someone says to you, what makes, me, what makes you valuable as a Christian? I want your response to say, I am a son of God. I am a child of God. If you're a Christian here tonight, your entire life Your life as a student, as a sibling, as a granddaughter, as an employee, as a soldier, as a pick something, whatever you are, your entire life should be understood in terms of this statement. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. So how does that affect our daily life? Okay, this is beautiful. This is cool. It sounds good. Drive it home. How does the rubber meet the road? Well, I think it affects us in two main ways two main ways, and I want to approach it this way. I think that most of us in this room, I think actually all of us in this room, all, all humans are asking two main questions. We're asking two main questions. I think we even ask these questions every day in the midst of our busyness, in play, in dating, in study, in everything we do, we're asking these two things. We're asking one, am I okay? Am I okay? And two, will I be okay? Will I be okay? The first question, am I okay, asks this. It says, am I okay right now? Am I okay as a woman? Am I okay as a man? Are my grades okay? Do my friends like me? Is my performance at work okay? Is my bank account okay? Is my internship hours okay? We're all constantly asking this question, am I all right? And then we're also asking another question. I think we're also asking, will I be okay? Is my major enough to set me up on a path of success? Will I have friends in the future or will I be lonely? Will I have a spouse who cares for me and loves me? Will I have enough money? Will I be physically healthy into the future? Don't we ask these questions? Aren't these the questions that we ask ourselves? I think we do. I think that part of being human is constantly asking, am I okay? Will I be okay? And what I want you to see here tonight is this doctrine of adoption, this idea of being children of God, answers both of those questions with a resounding, yes, you are okay, you will be okay. The first one says, asks, will you be okay? Well, look with me at verse 2. What does he say? Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. Adoption tells us that we have a Father in heaven right now who loves us, who cares for us, who provides for us, cherishes us. That means that the God of the universe, the one who made everything, the one who is completely out there, cherishes you. And if that's true, then nothing can hurt you. Nothing can hurt you permanently. Yes, life will beat us up, but it can't really get to us, right? If God loves us like this, do you see that? Do you see that if God is our father, the all-powerful one loves us, then nothing can get to us. Even if you lose your job or your health or your scholarship, you remain God's child. And he loves you simply because you are his child and that you're okay. So that means right now at New Mexico State, in the spiritual center, you are okay. You're okay. 
in the swirl of your life, if your world crashes down this week, you get that phone call at the night that could break your world wide open, you're okay. You're okay because you are God's child. It makes me think of the song we just sang. Because of his great love, his adopting love, we are not overcome. This love adopts us. But without John also tells us that we will be okay. Look at the second half of verse 2. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. I'm sorry, because we know that we will be, that, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Well, what does this mean? Well, John is telling us that he's talking about the future coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back to finally show himself truly for who he is, and, and, and we begin to, we finally realize completely what is our adoption and what is it. And, and in, in Christian theology, we call this glorification, our glorification. Well, what is glorification? Well, for years and years, for, for many summers, I've worked at a wholesale plant perennial nursery. And so um, we, in, uh, we would sell flowers in Colorado. Um, and so part of what we would do is we would take these tiny little seedlings, tiny little plants, and we would put them in dirt, like say a daisy that's got like five little tiny little leaves. It's nothing to really speak of. Um, and we'd plant them in dirt, and, um, and it would look like nothing really much. It's just a plant. But, um, and then we would put it in a greenhouse and wait several weeks, wait three to four weeks. And then someone would order, order this plant, order a daisy. And I had the really great honor of being the guy who was in charge of shipping. And so what would come out of the greenhouse after a couple of weeks would be this magnificent plant that's just gone from this tiny little seedling to this great big plant that's got flowers and leaves. And it's just, it's just glorious in what it is as a daisy. It's still, you know, when it's this tiny little plant, it's still a daisy. But boy, when it comes out, it's this glorious daisy it's this incredible plant full of buds and flowers it's a daisy the whole time but at the end it's this perfect daisy and that's what glorification is glorification is when jesus comes back we who have believed in him we will appear as our best selves not as some spirit in the sky with harps and a, you know with a harp and wings no you will be your best you will be the best isabella you'll be the best jonathan the best nat All of us, when we believe this, then the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And if the best is yet to come for all of us, then you know what that means? It means that we will be okay. We will be okay. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. means that when Jesus returns in the last day, you and I will be revealed as our best selves, finally, as the children of God. And that means that you and I can know that we will be okay. Yes, life beats us up. I will make no bones about that. I have talked with many of you. Many of you have hard things happening in your life. But at the end, the best is yet to come. Tim Keller, who's a, who's a great Christian preacher, says that the gospel means that our bad things will turn out for good, our good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. Our bad things will turn out for good, our good things are never really lost, and the best things are yet to come. Y'all, we need to hear this. Our campus needs to hear this message. I need that in my life because I constantly have things in my life that tell me other that say, I'm not okay. That tell me I'm not going to be okay. That is what adoption is. That adoption means 
that as God's children, you are okay and you will be okay. That's where we start here. That's an incredible message. That is good news. Believe that. And that brings us to our second point. We're all the way into verse 2, and I've got 10 verses to go. (laughs) We're not going to get through it all. All right, so that brings us to our second point. So remember, God's love prompts godly love. So the first thing we see here is God's incredible love, the kind of love that makes us his very children. But John does not stop there. He presses on. And what is, he say, what, is, what is he saying? He's saying that God's love prompts godly love. God's love prompts godly love. So what does that mean? It means that when we are God's children, we begin to practice righteousness. Practice righteousness. And so this pivot point, it begins in verse 3. It begins in verse 3 and it says, And everyone who thus hopes in him, everyone who has this hope, who has this great assurance of what's coming, who hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. John says here, if you have this hope that you are okay now and you will be okay, if you have this hope, this assurance of God's fatherly love, then you begin to start acting like children. You begin to start acting like the child that you are. John's saying here, if you know that you're loved and your heart is warmed by this great love, then you start to act lovingly. You start to act lovingly. We all do this. Think of a dear friendship in your life. Think of someone who you absolutely love, who who you love, and think of, you know they love you. You know they love you. My wife, I know my wife loves me. I know my wife loves me. Well, does that mean that, oh, I know she loves me, so I know I can do whatever I want around her. I can mistreat her. I can say cruel things to her. I can ignore her. Does that? No! No, that's not what we do. When we know someone loves us, we want to love them in return. When we know that we really are loved, we want to do things that delight them. We want to be with them in a way that makes them happy. That's what love is. You do that. I do that. When someone loves you, you don't respond to their love with hate or unlove. You respond with mutual love. And anyone who takes advantage of that love, anyone who, just, who takes advantage of that they're ungrateful at the least, and they're cruel at most. Well, that's what John is getting at here. He says, look at what this incredible love that God has for you. And now, are you going to take advantage of that love and turn it into freedom to mistreat others and mistreat God? No. No, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that in another relationship. Don't do that with your relationship with God. If you are so loved as God's child, would you turn that around as an excuse to live a lifestyle that's not aligned with your father's best for you or with what he desires for you? No, we wouldn't do that. Paul says the same thing in Romans 6. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Or if God is so loving, if God is so caring towards us and gracious, are we going to live sinfully? And John and Paul, they both, I mean, they both say as loud and clear as they can, absolutely not. John says here, if you are God's child, which if you believe in Jesus Christ you are, then your life should reflect back that love and obedience towards your Father in heaven. If you have been loved with this incredible adopting love, then you should respond with obedience and love. So how do do we love our Heavenly Father? Well, look with me at verse 6. It says that no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen or know Him. 
Well, what, what does this mean? It means that we need to have a tenacious hatred of sin in our lives. That means that if you are a Christian here tonight, you cannot, you must not tolerate sin in your life. And that's a hard thing for a college to say on a college campus. Some of you may be here saying, well, I'm in college, and college is a time for exploration. College is a time for self-discovery, for tweaking or bending the rules. Some of you might be thinking here tonight, say, well, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I can't be expected to follow the rules all the time, especially on a Friday or Saturday night after a stressful week. Or some of you might think, but God's laws, man, they're repressive. They're backwards. They're not what society expects today or accepts today. Or some of you might even think, well, if God's my father, he'll forgive me. So I can, I, can, I can let this little thing go on. I can let this little sin keep going. But John is saying here, no, you cannot. There is no toleration for consistent belligerent sin in your life, in your money, in your sexuality, in your sexual relationships, in your academics, in your online life, what you do with your phone or what you say online. All of it, John says. All of it should reflect who you are, and that is a child of God. It's a call for radical obedience, a call for radical obedience that should cut all of us. Now, but some of you here might hear this and say, oh man, I can't live up to that. And so you begin to beat yourself up over this. You beat yourself up and say, man, I know I've got sin in my life. I'm more broken than you'll ever know, Jonathan. I'm more broken than, you, than I can ever possibly I, I, I know I've broken God's law tonight. And you think, that must mean I'm not a child of God because I've sinned. I'm not a, so I must not be a Christian. Well, if, you're, if you, that's you tonight, if, you, if, that's, if that's how you're receiving this, I want you to notice two things. Well, first, I want you to notice the order that John gives us here. John does, does John say here, if you are righteous, if you are sinless, then you become an adopted child? Or does he say, you are a child of God, loved and adopted, now go live like one? He says the second. He says the second. In Christian theology, obedience always follows identity. Obedience always follows our identity. Your identity is a child of God, purchased by Jesus Christ's blood. We've talked about that. If that's true, then respond to that with who you are in your obedience. And the second thing I want you to see is that John does not say, if you sin once, you aren't a child. Rather, he says, if you make a practice of consistent sin, if you make a practice of sin, we all sin. We all sin a lot. That's been something that we've talked a lot about throughout the last couple of weeks. Sin is a part of being a person. It's part of what holds us back as, as people. It's part of when we're glorified, then we're no longer sinners. We're free from everything that holds us back as sinners. But look at verse 9. Verse 9 says that if you're born of God, if you are adopted by God, you're a beloved child, you won't make a consistent practice of belligerent sin, of rejection of God's law. Just like I won't reject my wife if I know that she loves me. So please hear me say this. Hear John say this tonight. Do not use this passage to beat yourself up to say that I'm not a Christian because I sin. That is not what John is saying here. Rather, use this passage in two ways. First, I want, all, I want you to ask yourself, am I a child of God? Another way of saying this is, ask yourself, do I actually believe this? Do I actually believe this? 
Do I actually believe in this incredible love, this amazing warming love that means that I am okay now and I will be okay in the future? Ask yourself that question. The second thing I want you to ask yourself how to use this passage to ask yourself is, do you have areas of sin in your life that, that you tolerate, that you put up with? Do I explain away what, what, what I look on my phone, what I do with my body or with my sexual choices or my disdain for my roommate or the way that I may use substances in my body? Do I explain those away? What, I want, what John is saying here is you can't take pieces of Christianity but reject other pieces. It's a package deal. You can't take like neighbor love. You can't take God's adopting love but not take this radical obedience that John is calling us to in response to God's love. And I want to make, to see one final thing here, one final thing. Um, some of you may, may be here and thinking, boy, I'm glad this works for you, Jonathan. I'm glad that this works for the RUF com- community, but it's just not for me. It's not for me. Um, you, say, you maybe think, I'm glad this helps you sleep at night, um, but it's just, I don't know, this doesn't describe me. And notice here that John, does not let, does, John doesn't let you off the hook. He does not tolerate a middle ground here. There are no neutral positions towards God's love. Look with me at verse 10. But it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the, of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And what John is saying here is that you cannot, you can't, you can't be apathetic about the claims of Christianity. You can't say, well, I'm glad this is for you guys, but I don't know. I don't, John is saying he's not letting us off the hook that way. You have to land on this one way or the other. And that's what we want RUF to be. We want RUF to be a place where you can ask hard questions. Ask hard questions about faith and spirituality and Christianity. And we want to have hard conversations about that. Hard questions deserve serious answers. But then there's a great Christian author who wrote, he wrote this, he said, merely to have an open mind is nothing. The object of an opening the mind, like opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. You don't walk around, ah. No, you close your mouth on something solid and you land on a spot. So ask hard questions if that's you tonight. Ask hard questions. Use RUF as a place to ask hard questions. But then answer them. Is Jesus who the Bible says he is? Is this adopting love real? Is the gospel true? If that's where you are tonight, I encourage you, see the great love that the Father has given to you and become a child, a daughter, or a son of God. Don't reject that love. And for the rest of us, I hope you see tonight how God's incredible love prompts godly love. God has loved you. God has loved me with an incredible, incredible love that would make us children. You know what that means? It means that you're okay. You're okay. It means that you will be okay. And it means the best is yet to come. If that's true, then respond to that radical love with radical obedience. Live like what you are. You are a child. Live like one. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it cuts at us, Father. It, you show us how deeply you love us, and then you call us to, to great obedience. So, Father, um, we're all humbled before your word. Um, Spirit, I pray that you would use this word in each of us as we need it, that you would um, build us up, comfort us, 
Do what you need to. Father, go with us tonight as we go into our community. May we be a community that points others to Jesus' great love. And may you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.